0: It was one of those kind of late autumnal, so there'd been a couple of big storms that had blown in. And although it was beautiful blue skies, it had that chill to it.
1: This is Anya Pearson. Back in 2018, she was taking a walk down the beach with her daughter Evie on a routine fossil hunting trip. You know, casual. They live near Lyme Regis, a town that's well known for being full of fossils. In fact, That area of southern England is known as the Jurassic Coast.
0: Welcome to Jurassic Park.
1: Jurassic, because it's rich with fossils. About 200 million years ago, the UK was a tropical series of small little islands, and it had a whole underwater world full of prehistoric wildlife. So today... You can literally be walking on the beach and pick up fossilized remains of an animal that existed millions of years ago. When Anya and Evie were done fossil hunting for the day, they went out for some ice cream.
0: A little reward for their hard work. You know, we went off, marching off the beach to go and find, to see if anyone had, uh, was selling ice creams. And that's when she kind of stopped dead in her tracks and asked me if she could go and see Mary's statue. Evie was talking about Mary Anning, the 19th century
1: fossil hunter, also known as the mother of paleontology. Almost 200 years ago, Mary Anning had discovered her first fossils walking along that same beach. Evie assumed that Mary Anning,
0: a household name in Lyme Regis, would have a statue. And that's when I when I had to, I had to bend down and get on her level because she was like 10 years old and... Um... And explain to her that Mary didn't have a statue, you know, and that women in Victorian times were not seen as equal to men. They couldn't own property. They were the property of their fathers and then the property of their husbands. Um, and then layer on top of that, the fact that Mary's working class, she was just lost in history.
1: Yep, no statue, no plaque. Nothing to commemorate this woman who had contributed so much to science. It was one of Evie's first times learning about how history treated women. And she did not take it well.
0: It was her physical reaction to what I was telling her. And her neck went red and she just got really angry and, you know, in her face. And I just thought, we should all be angry. So Anya started looking around to see if she could do something to
1: commemorate Mary. She reached out to organizations she assumed would be interested in helping. But she got the silent treatment from most of them. And from one of them, she got a guy with a what-do-they-really-think-they're-gonna-do kind of
0: attitude. And that for me was like, right, that's it, the gloves are off now. I'll show you what this kid and her woman can do.
1: Anya was ready to take on the world, to show them what a determined woman could do. And 200 years earlier, Mary Anning had done the same thing. She was a working class woman who against all odds took on the scientific establishment. She defied the men in charge and she became the first to find fossils of some huge long extinct marine reptiles. Fossils that challenged everything people knew about God and life on earth. From something else and Sony Music Entertainment, this is They Did That, a different kind of history show. I'm Takara Small. Today, the story of Mary Anning, the mother of paleontology. Emma Bernard was one of those dinosaur-loving kids who was destined to become a paleontologist. She works at the Natural History Museum in London now. But when she was a kid, she remembers learning about the very first marine reptiles and dinosaurs people found, and the paleontologist who studied them. And only one of those paleontologists was a woman. So Mary Anning, she was a very
3: famous paleontologist from Dorset in the UK. She was born in Lyme Regis in 1799 to quite a poor family. And she had quite um, little formal education, apart from attending Sunday school. um, And
1: that was where she was then taught to read and write. Mary loved hunting for fossils on the beaches near her house. And she was crazy good at it. She would often come home with some weird-looking bone or a rock with the imprint of some prehistoric creature. But paleontology wasn't considered science back then. Fun fact, fossils were so mysterious they were actually called curies or curiosities. The whole notion of fossils and paleontology
3: wasn't really a thing. This was several decades before Darwin's theory of um, evolution had been published. The whole notion of the world being millions of years old, that just wasn't a thing. People had very little to challenge that whole biblical setting of the world having been created within seven days.
1: Yeah, and those seven days didn't leave a lot of time for the creation and extinction of giant lizard creatures. The Bible doesn't really mention dinosaurs, so people came up with their own theories. Often, and the way that these uh, fossils
3: were explained was that they were actually the remains of animals and plants from the great flood, as is
1: written in the Bible. In the early 1800s, people didn't know how to make sense of fossils. Evidence of extinct creatures didn't quite square with what was in the Bible, and that scared a lot of people. But it also fascinated them. Whenever a big fossil was found, people would flock to galleries to see it. Fossils were like the Marvel movies of their day. And of course, people wanted some sweet fossil merch to take home. Mary and her mom saw a business opportunity.
3: So Mary, as a child, she used to go out, collect fossils, remove all the rock from them, and sell the fossils uh, to some of the tourists who would come to Lyme Regis to visit
1: during the summer holidays. And Mary's family really needed the money. Mary's dad had been an amateur fossil hunter. But in 1810, he passed away, leaving behind a lot of debt. Mary was only 11, but she had to start turning her fossil hunting hobby into a real business. Mary needed to find something big and fast. And it wasn't long before a bigger fossil revealed itself to the Annings. It was actually her brother Joseph that found the skull.
3: And kind of sort of poking out the side of the cliffside. And I've been to Lyme Regis many times, and it is true you do kind of get these little fossils or little nodules that might have something inside them poking out of the cliffside. So he had found the snout or the tip of the
1: ichthyosaur skull. Joseph ran back home to get Mary. Even though she was younger than him, Mary was the fossil expert of the family. Together they went to get another look at the skull. They thought it was some sort of crocodile-like
3: animal to begin with because she had this big long snout with big sharp teeth.
1: The skull of this fossil was super exciting. Not only did it look amazing to Mary and Joseph, but it was blowing literally everyone else's mind too. Because the truth is, no one had ever seen a skull like this before. And when Mary found the rest of the skeleton, it was like a whole other level of shocking because this thing was huge. The entire body would have been about 17 feet, and it looked nothing like a crocodile. Sort of a dolphin shape. So it'd have a long, sort of pointed snout, big, sharp teeth, um, and flippers as well. The creature is later named an ichthyosaur. Mary took the fossil home, probably with the help of some local guys. And this thing, it was bigger than she was. This thing would have weighed several tons. And with a find that big, the news spread fast. So
3: it was probably known within the town itself, and I'm sure word um, would spread around. And I think that's probably also how word got back to some of the scientists that, oh, actually, there's something a bit different, and you know, maybe we should go and check it out.
1: Mary's Ichthyosaur was the first to be studied as a whole animal and to be written up in scientific papers. It was Mary's first big find. She didn't know that eventually her ichthyosaur would end up at the Natural History Museum in London for millions of people to see and admire. What she did know is that she had found her calling. She would be a fossil hunter. Mary was only around 13 years old, but from then on, she was out on the beach every day, looking for fossils. She'd march down from town onto the Rocky Lime Regis beach and spend hours walking around, She'd pick up rock after rock, turning each one over, making a quick decision about whether it was just a rock or a hidden fossil. Some of the rocks would end up in a little wicker basket that hung from her arm, and the others she'd throw back into the water. She found tons of fossils, so many that she wasn't just selling to tourists anymore. Scientists were now coming to her to get fossils on the regular. It was basically people would go, they would find
3: all the fossils, sell them to the scientists, and then the scientists would write up their descriptions,
1: never really acknowledging the person who originally found it. Most famous paleontologists back then got to know and trust Mary's work. They bought her work and put it in museums and wrote about her finds in scientific papers. But none of them ever credited her as the source of their big discoveries. It
3: wasn't the dumb thing for women to be doing, and certainly not a woman from a working class background.
1: But Mary wasn't going to let that stop her from learning everything she could about these mysterious creatures. There's many accounts
3: of where she would borrow books from other people, and from some of the scientists that would visit her, and she would painstakingly, probably by candlelight by the fire, write out, word for word, everything that was in the books because she didn't have any money to buy the books at the
1: time. But she wasn't content with just learning from books. Mary would also buy fish and squid from the fishermen at the beach for a bit of hands-on learning. She would dissect the uh, fish and the squids, and basically compare what
3: she was finding inside to the fossils that she was finding, and therefore
1: realizing that some of the fossils, it's actually a fish, it's a bony fish. Mary had her own theories about what the fossils she found were, about where they were coming from and how they got here. But no one was really interested in the ideas of some working-class woman who lived by the beach. Over her teenage years, Mary found and sold lots of things, even some more ichthyosaurs. But at the end of the day, the Annings were still living hand-to-mouth. Mary needed another big fossil to bring in some more money. And then in 1823, when Mary was 24 years old, she found a creature even more world-shattering than the ichthyosaur, a creature that rattled the whole of paleontology. That's after the break. It was a cold December day, and Mary was out looking for fossils. She wasn't a kid anymore. She'd been fossil hunting for over 10 years by then. And as she walked along the beach, she noticed something unusual poking out of the cliffside. A small bone glimmering in the sun. She knew it must be a fossil. So Mary started clearing smaller rocks out of the way. And soon she uncovered a skull. Just like when she found the ichthyosaur, Mary knew she had another special find on her hands. Something different. Unlike the ichthyosaur, this creature's skull was kinda tiny, as small as a dog's head, less than eight inches, but its neck was long. It was over four feet. That's as tall as a small child. So this was a large marine reptile with a big long neck uh, with a
3: small head on top, a barrel-shaped body with flippers, and a sort of long
1: tail. So if you picture the Loch Ness monster, (laughs) something like that. Nobody had ever seen a creature like this. It looked otherworldly, with its long giraffe neck and seal-like flippers, and it was extremely shocking. What the hell was this thing? She found the first ever complete plesiosaur skeleton, which I think many people would argue was probably our most important find. A well-known scientist had already suspected a creature like this had existed, and he'd gone as far as to name it a plesiosaur. But paleontologists had only ever found a bone here or there, never a full skeleton. The plesiosaur Mary found was complete, about nine feet long and six feet wide. This creature was so wildly unimaginable that Mary knew she had found something important. So she
3: wrote to some of her friends and colleagues in London to say, I found something,
1: I think you might, you might be interested. A couple of these fancy scientist types came all the way from London to Lyme Regis, and they were like, oh, hang on, yes, you have found something that is really unique, something completely new to science. But Mary couldn't just enjoy the scientific merits of her discovery. She had a family to feed. While Mary was selling her plesiosaur to the highest bidder, news of her discovery spread through the scientific community, all the way to scientist William Coney Bear. And Coney Bear was shook, to put it mildly. He was the scientist who had theorized about this creature. Now, for the first time ever, he had the best proof of its existence a full skeleton. So on February 20th, 1824, Coney Bear called a meeting of the Geological Society of London. Basically, a boys' club of paleontologists. And boy, were they excited to talk all things plesiosaur. It was the most well-attended meeting they had ever seen. Mary, of course, was not invited. We don't have transcripts of the meeting, but I imagine it went something like this.
2: Gentlemen, the moment you've all been waiting for. I present to you very fine drawings of a most magnificent specimen. I had suggested it be named the Coney Bearosaurus, but I was shot down. The name we have settled on is Plesiosaur. Go on then, Coney Bear, tell us about it. Yes, thank you, Buckland. This monster, which I found all by myself. Actually- That's right, me, William Coney Bear, daring scientist and renowned fossil hunter. I found it by myself. That's not totally how it- Yes, I said me, Coney Bear. Handsome, famous, tall, beloved by the ladies and- That's enough. William, you did not find this fossil. It was Mary Anning of Lyme Regis. (gasps) That's right, Mary Anning's work is impeccable, consistent, and true. I've closely reviewed it myself, and it is spectacular. Fine, fine, Buckland. Maybe I didn't technically dig the thing out myself. Moving on, can I show my Megalosaurus now? I found that. (gasps) Okay,
1: so maybe it wasn't exactly like that, but it's true that Coney Bear tried to get away with not mentioning Mary by name, and that Buckland who was a friend of Mary's, likely gave her a shout-out. This meeting was one for the books. In the same night, paleontologists gathered to discuss not just an unimaginable marine creature, but the megalosaurus. Think mini-T. rex, one of the first dinosaurs to ever be found. These discoveries were changing the very foundations of people's belief systems about what kinds of creatures God created, about the beginning of life, about extinction. Mary was such a big contributor to science that her name and reputation was smack dab in the center of all these theories and discussions. After the meeting, it seemed like Mary had finally made it. The plesiosaur had made her famous not just in Lyme, but amongst all the most important scientists in Europe. There was just one problem.
3: This was the fossil that caused a lot of controversy because people assumed it might be fake.
1: When Emma says people assumed it might be fake, it was mostly one guy. One very important guy. It was George Cuvier who thought it was a fake. Georges Cuvier is sometimes referred to as the father of paleontology. He was an uber-famous French anatomist and his whole thing was being able to determine which bones belonged to which creature. So naturally, after the February meeting, drawings of this astonishing new creature were sent to Cuvier. And he basically thought Mary had put together the bones of two or three different animals and just made the whole thing up. Cuvier was so respected that just one ill-considered doubt from him and Mary's entire reputation and livelihood was on the line. Cuvier went back to say, hang on, can,
3: you know, double check. We think, you know, you're having a joke. <laughs> and they went back to, you know, no, no, we're being genuine. It's absolutely real. But Cuvier was like, nah, draw it again, but better. They went back and did finer sketches and drawings of the fossil and they sent him uh, further illustrations and drawings. And um, then Cuvier started to come around and realize, oh, actually, maybe she is onto something here. Maybe she does know what she's talking about.
1: Yeah, you think? His doubts could have put Mary and her mom out of business. But in the end, Cuvier did admit that Mary was right. The fossil was real and that it actually was, quote, the most amazing creature ever discovered. He even started giving Mary credit for her finds if he ever mentioned them in a paper. Mary's reputation was saved. After Mary came out on the winning side of the plesiosaur controversy, she became very popular. She even opened up a bigger shop called Anning's Fossils. This was her moment
3: people really started to take Mary Anning seriously. And a lot of the scientists at the time would come from London and also travel from across Europe and even America to go
1: on a fossil collecting trip with Mary Anning and to see some of her collections. But some people couldn't see beyond her gender. The paleontologist Gideon Mantell visited Mary and he wrote this pretty small-minded and misogynistic description of her.
2: A geological lioness in a little dirty shop with hundreds of specimens piled around her in the greatest disorder. She, the presiding deity, proved a prim, pedantic, vinegar-looking, thin female.
1: Mary had worked hard to earn a place in scientific circles and in history. But would she ever be let into the boys' club of scientists? Or would they think of her only as a vinegar-looking, thin female forever? Stay with us. Mary's skills had reached a peak when she was in her 20s. Her reputation in her own right really kicked off. And she actually became known as the go-to person for these marine prehistoric finds. After finding the first complete plesiosaur, her second big contribution to science, Mary's popularity soared. And she started getting name credit for her big finds in some scientific papers. In 1828, she made another big find, the pterosaur, a flying reptile gliding across oceans. It was the first pterosaur to be found outside of Germany.
3: So if anybody's seen the Jurassic Park films, Jurassic World films, the pterosaurs, um, I think uh, coming attack the helicopter, um, at the end of the scene,
1: that's, that's what she'd found. Her heavy hitters aside, Mary was putting together pieces of a puzzle no one had imagined could exist. She was figuring out how these creatures interacted. She even developed a study of coprolites, otherwise known as fossilized feces, a study in which, you guessed it, she analyzed what these creatures preyed on and then pooped out. A lot of people talk about Mary as someone who found a few big, important fossils— But Mary was a fossil hunter and scientist. Absolutely, not just finding one fossil and that's it, but actually trying
3: to build up that bigger picture of how all these different animals were actually interacting with each other,
1: building up that ecosystem. Mary spent her life finding fossils, developing ideas about where they came from, and pushing science forward. But still, she was never let into the boys' club of paleontologists. The Geological Society of London didn't even admit women until 1901, over 50 years after Mary's death. I think had she been male, even in the same position
3: as what she was, she could have at least attended that meeting at the Geological Society of London. She could have attended a lot of these lectures and certainly been taken a
1: lot more seriously and on a level playing field as some of these other scientists. The same scientists who relied on Mary's fossil hunting abilities also took credit for her work. Surprise, surprise. They would come to Lyme Regis to hunt with Mary and brainstorm about this ecosystem she was discovering one fossil at a time. And then they would go back to their geological society meetings and not even mention her name. Looking back in her life, and it was actually a letter from
3: one of her friends, Mary sort of thought of herself as having been used by the men of society because she really didn't feel that she was getting the credit that she deserved. So I think by the end of her life, she was a bit annoyed, I think, by the world, for a world that
1: she had also given so much to as well. She didn't stop fossil hunting, but it's obviously not a job with a guaranteed paycheck. Some months were really slow, And even when Mary did find valuable things, she wasn't able to make as much money selling them. Fossil hunting had become more popular, and with more on the market, fossils lost some of their value. Mary did end up living hand-to-mouth for the rest of her life. She died of breast cancer when she was just 47 years old. Even though her finds likely helped to inspire Darwin's theory of evolution— Mary's name and work were lost in history for a long time. These days, though, you can find a lot of Mary's finds in museums. Scientists still refer
3: back to these specimens today. So if we think we found something new or something a little bit different, we go back to these what we call holotypes or the type specimen. So had it not been for Mary Anning finding these fossils in the first place, we wouldn't have these holotypes. So her impact
1: and her work is still felt today. People who visit the Natural History Museum in London can walk alongside Mary's massive fossil finds. But back in her hometown of Lyme Regis, there is nothing to commemorate Mary's contributions to science. You'd never even know she was there.
0: At least, not until the spring of 2022. We smashed it. Absolutely smashed it. We raised 150k.
1: Remember mother and daughter duo Anya and Evie? Over the last few years, they've been campaigning to raise money to build a Mary Anning statue. And on a sunny spring day last year, Anya, Evie, Emma, and hundreds of other people gathered in
0: Lyme Regis to see Mary's statue for the first time. She's positioned so she's walking along the cart path which is the route she would have taken from her house out to the fossil beaches. So she's striding out. Her skirt's got the wind in it and it's swished out. She's carrying her hammer in one hand with her famous basket over her crook of her arm. And in her left hand, she's got uh, a beautiful ammonite. And then she's got Trey, her dog, trotting by her heels. I genuinely think she'd get, if she knew there was a statue in Lyme Regis, I think she'd laugh herself senseless. I think she'd love it. I think she'd hook it and kiss it, yeah.
1: Mary never had a chance to publish her own work, to discuss her own findings and speak for herself in the scientific circles of London. But her work left a huge mark on history. It's not just that she uncovered a few very important firsts. Mary's willingness to really imagine a different world based on the hard evidence changed the way we think about life on Earth today. You can learn more about Anya's campaign and Mary's statue at www.maryanningrocks.co.uk. And if you want to go even deeper into Mary's world, check out the novel Remarkable Creatures by Tracy Chevalier and Fossil Woman, A Life of Mary Anning by Tom Sharp. The movie Emma with Kate Winslet was also based on Mary's story. Do you know of someone whose work was lost in history? Let us know. Our email is theydidthat at sonymusic.com. Next time on They Did That. When you watch her, you
0: see that sort of unbridled joy that would get a kid who didn't necessarily grow up in the environment where tennis was the obvious choice, who found her way to the sport and decided to play it her own way, and maybe got so far down the road that nobody really wanted to change anything To me, I see like a pure expression of joy. And I think that's why, even if you can't explain what watching her makes you feel, that's why it makes you feel that way because you're watching somebody free of constraints.
1: They Did That is presented by me, Takara Small. voiceover by Archin Mohil and Michael Dale. This episode was written and produced by Ava Ahmed Beghi. Our associate producer is Serena Chow. This episode was edited by Jasmine Romero. Executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs and Tom Koenig. Engineering and sound design by Rick Kwan. Our production coordinator is Lily Hambly, and our original theme song is by Cedric Wilson.